Well, we are uh, working our way through Paul's first letter to the Corinthian congregation, uh, a church which seems to be in conflict, uh, divided over what you might say are uh, individual feelings of superiority. Uh, I was baptized by Peter. Someone says, well, I was baptized by Paul. Well, I was baptized by Jesus. Uh, which is all a way of saying that somehow my credentials are better than yours, right? I'm more superior in my Christianity than you are. Um, when I was thinking about that, I kind of remembered the old joke. I've seen it done in a variety of different ways. It says, once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes, I do. Are you a Christian or a Jew? I'm a Christian. He said, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? <laughs> he said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Rights Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Regional Council of 1912. He said, 1912. I said, die, you heretic, and I pushed him. <laughs> And I pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> Paul responds by reminding them about the paradoxical way in which God works in the world. How God, more often than not, seems to, as Paul says, choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God who chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong who chooses the lowly things of this world and the despised things to nullify the things that are. And why, we might ask, so that, Paul says, no one may boast. Darn. <laughs> I don't get to boast. Um, uh, yesterday, I was, I was going through some boxes of old stuff in our shed and uh, brought some things in, and one was this little plaque, and it says, Boy Genius. And Brenda said, where'd that come from? I said, oh, it's from my childhood. I had this on a shelf over my desk in my bedroom. And she said, boy, that really explains the way you are. <laughs> I said, what do you mean the way I am? <laughs> well... I don't get to boast about my genius intellectual accomplishments, my superior education because I went to the correct university. Not about my success or good looks. Not about my excellent opinions or my vast knowledge, my wonderful possessions my career accomplishments. Well, that's how the world works, but apparently it's not supposed to be at work 
the way it works among the followers of Jesus. To calm down their egos, Paul reminds them of who and what they really are. Brothers, he says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Now, if I was the recipient of that letter, I think I would have been offended. Paul, are you saying that I'm a fool? That's not very nice. Uh, is that how you pastor church? <laughs> um, in fact, it's worse than that. In the Greek, the word translated as fool is moros, from, what we, from which we get the English word moron. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Good pastoral counseling there. Again, Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And if that's really how the world's supposed to work, I suppose People Magazine would fold overnight. After all, it's lifestyles of the rich and famous, not lifestyles of the average, not lifestyles of the, I guess I'm doing okay, not lifestyles of the B-minus students. You may have noticed that my sermon title is Nobody Famous. Uh, years ago, there was a movie uh, called Almost Famous, it was about a rock and roll band that was becoming successful, but not quite famous in, say, the way the Beatles or, or Elton John are famous. So they're being successful, but not quite famous, almost famous. And then the other day I ran across an article called Nobody Famous. Is that how the kingdom works? That God calls the nobody famous to do his work? The other day I was... Uh, talking to a pastor friend and we were talking about a guy uh, that we both knew he was in the same church with this guy and I actually grew up with this guy his name was Gary and Gary made his way to San Antonio he had a career he had a career in the food service industry for about 25 years but what he would really wanted to do was ministry and the pastor who was uh, excellent pastor very charismatic uh, really grew the church he just kind of kept rebuffing Gary. He just didn't really think he had the skill set to really be successful. But Gary just kind of kept hanging around the church. And, and what he really was good at was just visiting people. He kind of had these, these jowls that drooped down, and he didn't say much. He didn't have a lot of education. But he would just visit people. He'd visit people in the hospital. He'd talk to people. He'd listen to people. And finally, finally, the senior pastor green-lighted him for for a ministry and they found a little church for him to serve and, and he failed uh, because he wasn't the charismatic kind of guy and he kind of worried that he wasn't the charismatic kind of guy and so finally he came back to his church and just continued even into retirement to talk to listen to be with people and this friend of mine said that when he when Gary died about four years ago, he said, this senior pastor who never cried at funerals, just cried and cried. And he said, I saw him just a couple of weeks ago, four years later, I saw him just a couple of weeks ago. And he said, he said, I did not know until it was too late how much Gary meant to me and to this church. I wish I had one 
stay back with him so that I could tell him what a difference he made. Nobody famous. But maybe you're thinking, okay, God, if that's the way you do it, that's the way you do it, but, but why? Why not get the powerful? Paul's answer to that is that the way of God is undergirded by what he calls the message of the cross. Jews demand signs, he says, or proof. Greeks look for wisdom. It has to make logical sense. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So why? Why foolishness? Why a stumbling block? Because the cross in their culture meant nothing other than a symbol of defeat, a symbol of failure, shame, humiliation. It was a barbaric torture and execution of the worst of worst in society. It was about weakness, failure, defeat, and shame. And God can't be defeated. God can't be weak. But here's a way to think about it. Who would Jesus die for? For the deserving? Sure. For good people? Sure. For the right people? The correct people? But would Jesus sacrifice it all for the fools? For the got it wrongs? for the nobody famous. There is a phrase called leave it at the foot of the cross. And years ago, I, I witnessed this uh, in an almost literal way. I was uh, on the team for a boy's chrysalis, which was Walt Tomea's spiritual retreat for teenage boys. And we were doing this in a uh, contemporary Catholic sanctuary. And on Saturday night, had a worship service. And they had this beautiful, huge cross with a wooden uh, statue of Jesus on it. And there was a point, very spontaneously, no one asked them to do it. Wasn't in the manual. Wasn't planned. These boys started going up, and they knelt. They knelt. They bowed their heads almost to the floor. And these were the A students. These were the going to college guys. These were the athletes. These were the got it all togethers, the cream of the crop. And yet, even when you're the cream of the crop, the boy genius, there's still something you have to lay at the foot of the cross because in your most honest moment, you realize you can't save yourself. What do you need to leave at the foot of the cross? The cross of failure? You can leave that at the foot of the cross. The cross of defeat? Shame? Leave it at the foot. Humiliation? Weakness? Sin that won't go away? Guilt for what you've done. The cross. The cross for fools. The more I think
think about it, the more I realize that nothing really makes sense to me without the cross. Because, as I said, on my most honest moments, I can't save myself. And without the cross, I'm without hope. Paul says we are not saved, past tense. He says we are being saved, present tense. That the the message of the cross, the power of the cross, is happening right now. Thanks be to God for the cross that saves us all. Amen.